Hey guys, so welcome to the newly rebranded Shane Walsh podcast. So with the new name, we also have a new sponsor. So I have delighted to announce that I have signed up and I'm working with a company called Apex Fitness. So Apex produce and sell quality gym equipment and fitness equipment. They're founded in 2020 and are based in Ireland. So supporting Irish companies is a massive thing now, especially with what's happening. And they deliver their products both nationally and internationally. And they work with a dedicated team of staff, affiliates, and influencers around. They have core beliefs of affordability, quick delivery, quality, and sustainability. So I wouldn't be partnering up with something I didn't really believe in and wouldn't really partner up with anything that I didn't truly use myself. So they have a, a wide range of products from the likes of running vests, resistance bands, glute bands, massage guns. They have so much equipment. They have water bottles as well. So if you're looking for something for you for home workouts add to your gym workouts to make those runs a little bit more difficult or simply just for a water bottle these products are amazing so i'm also delighted that i have an affiliate link with these guys as well with apex fitness and i'm delighted that the if you use the, the affiliate code shane w10 so s-h-a-n-e-w-10 you will get 10 percent off of your order so guys that code again is shane w10 and i'm delighted to announce uh, the link and the affiliate with Apex Fitness. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shameless Fitness Podcast. So today is Coach's Corner Volume 19, and today's topic is on insecurities. And this is an episode that I think Dallas and Jane definitely wants to talk about. And I've been dragged along for the ride, and I'm doing it because I have to. Um, but I think it's important that, like, it comes from various different angles. And today's episode has Jane on it. So welcome back, Jane. Hello. Hello, Thanks. Dallas. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Um, so I'm going to let you guys give what insecurity is as a definition. And then we can open that massive can of worms that is planned. <laughs> so I believe Jane can take over. I'm like, damn, definition. Like, that's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> I have one if you want it, but I prefer Jane to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. And then we can kind of God, I think what everyone would recognize it more as kind of like insecurity would be seen as like a lack of confidence, so to speak, or an over-identification and awareness of yourself to a degree where there's like a lot of, I suppose there's a lot of kind of fear. It's like that you're just not enough. Like I know I always end up getting back to the whole like not enough side of things. And, but I think insecurity manifests in a lot of different ways for different people. Mm. And it's going to be a lot of varying reasons why people feel it. And I think everyone feels it to some degree, but it can be, significantly impactful if you feel it like over long term if it's something that's very powerful in your life and it's a feeling that's in your day-to-day -day life over a long period of time it can really really influence certain mental health disorders certain feelings you know in my like body image self-esteem eating disorders but then it also kind of manifests when it comes to certain mental health disorders there is associations there with it as well so like insecurity is something that is really broad ranging so I think there's like a very big spectrum with how it shows in people but I think the highest like probably the simplest way to describe it will be that feeling of lack of confidence and over identification mm -hmm. um with yourself and with your actions in a negative way 
Yeah, I think I think that's it. Like I think the the thing that I have is insecurity is being scared of your authentic self. It is the belief that your true authentic self is not as as not as magnificent as it should be, or it actually is. So I think it is like I think we fear that if we look and try to act the way we want to do, we're going to get fear of judgment from friends, family, peers, societal expectations, or look a certain way on social media. And I think that's either a legitimate legitimate worry or it's a for a lot of people it's a perceived worry that it's like a cool story that we have created for ourselves and i can't come from like various different albums of like trauma or crisis or divorce or relationships or a toxic environment at home or whatever it may be so those elements do need to be kind of looked at as well but i think it is important that i what you said there about like seeing what like what enough is i don't know if we can define what actually enough is for each one of us because i think when we get to a certain point for example if you're like oh i'll be happy when i get to a certain weight or i'll be accepted by society when i get to a certain weight you can't say that definitively but i can say definitively that you probably won't be when you get there but that's that's what the problem is yeah we're trying to define enough yeah can't define it so you shouldn't try yeah so that's the problem from the get-go yeah it's like you're enough no matter what you're enough no matter what you have what you do you are enough you as a human being you are enough no matter what you don't need to achieve anything do anything win anything gain anything lose anything to be enough and that's that's the problem when you try to do things to make you feel more enough you're chasing something that is in you that you need to build in you which is your self esteem which self esteem is not achieved by gaining stuff external to you it's by looking inward and rebuilding your internal feelings and your sense of self yeah that makes nice. sense that makes a lot of sense um Dallas where does it kind of normally kind of present itself or where can it present itself everywhere <laughs> <laughs> For a lot of Welcome people, to Dallas's TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, in terms of for a lot of people, it also comes down to you see a lot of insecurities show up in relationships for a lot of people. It's predominantly one of the main causes where you see insecurity. And that's purely for the fact that whether you look at it from attachment theory, so I know from multiple podcasts we've talked about attachment theory, you know, from how your primary caregiver has actually helped you in the beginning of your life, that how they reacted to you and how they loved you and how much attention they gave to you really predisposes you to a certain outcome in life. So if you grew up in a position where your parents didn't actually give you the attention or love you needed, you'll start noticing as you end up getting into relationships, you start modeling their insecurities, you start modeling their behaviors because you've only been exposed to that. So now you end up in a position where you're like, well, my way of defining how someone loves me, it's like if they give all of their attention to me, where a person doesn't define love by the amount of attention they give. So this is where the insecurity comes, where it's like, well, if a person was busy someday, now suddenly the partner has a problem because they didn't give all their attention, even though we didn't take into account that they were busy. So it's like we see it often played thanks to attachment, but then it can also come down to essentially how you've grown up with your friends and family and how they've set boundaries. So we've done the boundaries podcast, but it's also like if you are a, a confident for your parents, that's a problem. 
because you've dis, you've basically cr um, crippled a boundary between parent and child, and now you have an inability to dissociate or associate on terms of how emotion should be done, which is a parent keeps their emotions to the adult side of things and helps you deal with yours. You shouldn't be the person looking after their emotions. So that means when it comes to a relationship, if you can't be the support for somebody, you see an insecurity start popping up now. Because if the person doesn't tell you all their deepest, darkest secrets, you're like, yeah, well, I'm not good enough in this relationship anymore. But that's just been remodeled from where you've been a child. But then you also see insecurities from attractiveness, which is a very high amount, uh, or should I say, there's a high amount of cases where people have insecurity thanks to the way they look. And that usually comes down to not only social media, that comes down to parents, it comes down to friends, it comes down to school and a lot of the environment. And that's the scary part about it because all it takes is for some one person or one thing to be at the right time to tell you either you're fat, you don't look great, you need to work harder, you are not good enough, and that was it. You were susceptible at that time. From that point, you have now created a path of insecurity. So there are vast areas where it shows up. Unfortunately, there's every fact of getting. They've seen a lot with people who have had excess pressure put on them as children as well. So not just like even when if you've got parents that have been quite avoidant, which can which can create that like insecurity in children. Like and that's like an attachment theory in that as well. But also children who have had a lot of pressure put on them within school, like academics or anything like that, can end up struggling with that feeling of not being enough or never being able to do enough to get their parents' attention, to, you know, be good enough for them, to ever strive hard enough for them. It can be, it can really manifest and I think build those kind of perfectionist, perfectionistic tendencies and black and white thinking in children right into adulthood. Imagine the word perfectionism. Yes. I think Jamie's diet guy put up an amazing post on like where it came from. And I know like it comes from like the elements of trauma and not getting enough from parents, all that kind of stuff. But how can it lead into the likes of, I know we mainly talk about with people about like body image issues and eating disorders and stuff like that. But how can the lack of empathy or the, the depth of insecurity kind of relate back into eating habits and how you perceive yourself when it comes to something like with perfectionism as being part of it all people have this idea that perfectionism means that you like everything perfect you know and that it manifests itself in so many ways in your life like in your work and everything and everything is just spot on and perfect and have this image of that while perfectionism shows itself in so many ways and it it is really, really apparent in a lot of eating disorders and where it shows is in that black and white thinking, that dichotomous thinking that like all or nothing around behaviors, diets, on plan, off plan, really, really hard, rigid rules on yourself like that you may not necessarily apply to anybody else. You probably would never treat anyone else like you are treating yourself, you know, put those kind of restrictions and rules on them. And that's where it manifests a lot in eating disorders is People have those that really black and white thinking about themselves, mm. about their body. If they can't be perfect, they are 
terrible, awful, bad. You know, if they're not good, they're bad. If it's not right, it's wrong. There's no gray. It's all black and white. They can't see the gray area and can't see that for themselves within their own lifestyle. And I think that's a huge part of working through a lot of um, when you're doing a lot of work on eating disorders is trying to create a more flexible mindset and break through that black and white thinking. And a lot of it is even like by like ego, so to speak. And again, something that's really mis misinterpreted as being arrogant or you know up yourself which it is not at all we all have ego and unfortunately like you know I'm a huge Eckhart Tolle fan and like you know A New Earth is like was like one of my favorite books especially working through stuff for myself and that is a lot about ego and not realizing that that is a huge part of perfectionism and being so hard on yourself and when you finally like recognize that you are not your thoughts that you are not those voices those things telling you that you're not enough and that they don't have to control you that you can just learn from them that's a huge part of breaking through that and i think perfectionism ego all those things when you are willing to understand them and recognize that they're not exactly what you think they are you can really work through them, you know, that it's not about being a perfectionist or being like your ego being apparent for you isn't necessarily you being, you know, up yourself or, you know, having everything in your life perfect. It can be the reason you are tearing yourself apart. Like it can be the reason that you never feel enough. And it's huge when it comes to low self-esteem and insecurity, which is, you know, a huge part of what we're talking about. What are the main kind of types of insecurity that people kind of come through or what? Tell us. Well, in terms of a typing, you can kind of base it in terms of how you experience it. So in terms of how do you experience your insecurity, whether it be an internal display or it be an outward display. So you could often see an internal display to be how you talk to yourself about it and how you internalize the information. And then an external display to be what you end up doing to stop that insecurity or make the insecurity feel better. And that's the interesting part. So if you want to think about it, how to make an insecurity feel better, a lot of people, as we're talking about, use food as a way to kind of mitigate that insecurity. So that means that if I feel bad about myself, I need something to make me feel better. And the only way we currently have, um, how everyone sees it, is drugs, food, or sex. You know, those are the three on how we deal with insecurity. Instead of looking internally, as we, Jane was pointing out, it becomes the point that food now gives us a dopamine hit. We use food as a comforting mechanism. We use drugs as a way to stop that feeling of insecurity, stop us thinking about it. We use the endorphins from sex to get us to that position. So it's like we can type it in how you look at it and how you deal with it, but also how you feel with it. So like, for instance, when someone is feeling, say, unattractive and they're like, well, I have a big insecurity about how I look and I have to be a certain way. I need to do things. So internally, whenever they look at themselves in the mirror, they get an automatic trigger for an external display. So whether that be over-exercising, it'll be going to do the actual walk, they'll be going out and eating more, or they'll be going, like, how much can I restrict because my internal image needs to be better because how I perceive myself and how I think the world needs to see me is going to be different. And that causes massive issues in how we deal with it. Because if you don't deal with these options, you start noticing you end up pushing yourself down a worse position. So for something that is 
simple, simply saying, I'm not good enough or I don't look great can later down the line lead to, you know, uh, eating disorder, can increase mental health issues. You can even see that we uh, high insecurity rates from depression, from bipolarness. So it's like these disorders have it there because it's that internal thinking on yourself and how you see and perceive your things, and that's an issue. So it's like how we deal with it is going to be a big, big factor. You meant, sorry, go ahead, Jane. And then say like that's so true. It's like in the ways that the different ways that it manifests, even in like lesser degrees from looking at mental health disorders that it that it impacts. It's like the simple things that day to day people would notice is like failure, fear of rejection. That stems from insecurity, you know, and that's kind of like your self esteem becomes conditional on outcome. And that's that's a huge part of it. It's like it's that outcome. It's not it's like when we look at process goals versus outcome goals and nutrition. It's like enjoying embracing the process. And when failure and rejection are something that you fear, you're so your yeah, your happiness is just so conditional. And then like social anxiety, that's that's something that's huge from insecurity. And that's something where like I think you mentioned there as well, talking to that voice, that inner critic that's telling you you're not enough and that you know people are gonna judge you, that you're you don't deserve to be out there and that like, oh God, I what if I say something stupid, do something stupid, I better off not going. And you have to really challenge, challenge that voice, talk back to the inner critic. The way to try and get through that is to challenge yourself with that like manageable, achievable goals. Like we set with any, you know, any program we say like, look at the process, set like manageable goals when it comes to how your insecurity is manifesting, be it failure, fear of rejection, be it perfectionism, be it social anxiety, it's harnessing what will support those individual manifestations of insecurity for you. So with social anxiety, it could be challenging yourself to go on that date, you know, if you feel like you can do that or going to a certain event you might find difficult. Try instead of over-identification with yourself, observe others, like watch people listen, like how are they speaking? How are they feeling? Like just for curiosity and not like criticizing them or anything, but like being there, trying to be a part of it, observing others instead of standing there all the time, just considering yourself and what you're doing and over identifying your own behaviors and actions, little things like that can make a difference to focus on the process of change. It's like with perfectionism is similar. Like you kind of have to, instead of evaluating so much on an outcome that, that you're desiring, try and like evaluate yourself more in your effort you know like if you're looking at work for example really ask like will that 10 percent 15 percent 20 percent more really really make a difference versus what it's going to take me to push myself to that point you know there's a lot of that kind of evaluation of it and i think that's really important as as steven said was like that figuring out where it's coming from like how it's showing in you will help you start to work on like work on getting through it and trying to make it better for you personally. It's like, it is going to manifest in different ways for different people. Mm-hmm. Like even if the root cause of it is self-esteem related, you know, and there will be similarities and crossovers and how to deal with it when you look at how it is showing itself, but understanding the why in all things is going to make healing. True. I think it's also like you can look at it from like the internal family systems model of therapy, which is breaking down a self into different parts, right? And each part of the self looks at how it 
kind of helps you, but also tries to protect you. So the whole idea of <clears throat> the body and the somaticness of the body, so in terms of the sensations your body goes through, is protection and survival, right? So if you've got a point in terms of whether it be trauma, abuse, divorce, loss, whatever it may have occurred that created your insecurity, it will manifest itself in some form or way within yourself. And then obviously external display. So if you can understand where that came from so in terms of the part so if it's like as i like to call it in the ifs system you've got managers firefighters exiles and then yourself your exile is technically the person you put into the box who is trying to tell the world there's a problem but the manager goes this is not happening because this was terrible this was painful i don't want anyone knowing about it so i'm going to put a lock on this and how i do that is through the actions so those actions, whether it be, I always have a terrible feeling in the gut, I always have tight pain in the chest, or when I have an external display, it's I'm eating because I don't want to feel a certain way, or I got abused as a child, and to stop that abuse, I realized food made me unattractive to an uncle, to a family member, to some other person. So now you can see the behavior and where the insecurity comes from because you can realize where it is. Now that you know the part in a sense, now you can work on it. So that means that you know like, hey, look, there's, there's the name. So you can call it Karen, you can call it Jane, Shane, whatever it may be. And you'd be like, that's the part we need to talk to. That's what we need to understand. And once we understand where it came from, how it came from, now we can start going, right, how do we actually overcome this fear? How do we talk to that part specifically and go like, why are you holding me in this position? Why are you keeping me here? And then then you associate with the part. And people are like, yeah, but I don't want to associate. And it's like, but you need to, because then can you be a part of your true self? Then do you get to understand how to get out of it? You know, it's like essentially walking in a maze and it's all dark and you're like, great, I'm just going to aimlessly wander around, you know, when simply you could have just stepped at the back, looked at the maze, memorized and gone, let's go. Instead of going, let's jump in and try and see where we go. I think what you said there about kind of like naming the the person or giving the, the emotions an actual physical name, it's something that I've worked with on with two of the clients in particular that I have at the minute. And it's really landed for one of them. And they're like, how I've been, I've spent thousands and thousands in therapy and no one's ever said this to me. And it's something so small because it takes the power away from the actual thought. It's identifying the thought. Then it's also taking the power away from the urge, which was to go and eat. It's taking away the power away from the behavior. And it gives you the control that you can say, just like when you talk to your parents, when you were saying kid, and you were potentially getting bullied or someone was, you were in a scrap or whatever it may be, kill them with kindness. It's like saying, thank you for that feeling. Thank you for that emotion or whatever it is. Acknowledge it at the time rather than trying to beat yourself up and thank yourself for that feeling. And then you can say, hang on, I've got control of this now. I'm just going to control my actions from now. It's diffusing the whole thing. It's like detonate, It's like diffusing the whole bomb. That's potentially, and it's really, really important what Dallas has said there is, is recognizing the actual behavior behind it. And that's the hardest part. People don't want to dig into that behavior and where it's come from. And it, it's because it, it's uncomfortable. And I don't think a lot of people want to go down that uncomfortable route, but true change cannot happen in anything without getting uncomfortable in some way. And that's the hardest part for most people to hear. And if someone's listening to this right now and they're, and they're, and they're, they're struggling, 
it's going to take a lot of soul searching. It's not going to be an easy route. There's going to be tears. There's going to be tantrums. But it's so, so important to look at, right, I'm at this point now on in July 2021. But if I try to work on myself now, I could be somewhere else. I could be somewhere else three months down the line. I could be somewhere else six months down the line. And that could be closer to the person that you think you want to be in a direction that you want to go rather than latching on to these negative beliefs that have held you back from so long and achieving what you actually think because they're all everyone's worthy of doing what they want to do everyone's worthy of achieving what they want to achieve but the only thing that holds us back is our limiting things behind us it's like the likes of richard branson richard branson is dyslexic and he could easily have said no i'm gonna let this identify me as a dyslexic, won't be able to go to school. He dropped out of school, but set up a set up a virgin. And now he's probably one of the wealthiest men. He's been into space as well. But he's decided to work that little bit harder to and uh, other areas to his strengths. We all have strengths and gone with the beliefs that he has got those strengths and got the direction he wants to go in. And it's the same thing with like I think it's like Abraham Lincoln or someone as well. It's like he was kind of, I think it was um voted out a couple of times as well but he still became president mm. life's not going to be this straight line that people think it out to be because disney and movies have made us think it's going to be this straight line of progress we have to realize that there are going to be bumps but it's how you react and if you stop or you fail which you probably will fail some of the time or things will bump in the road and you give up it's justifying the belief and that's giving it more power it's giving a turbocharge energy and that's where a lot of people will struggle with that whole thing is everyone has to believe everyone has beliefs and thoughts are just beliefs they're not actual facts about people yeah. the fact that is your name whatever age you are at that time we're going to live we're going to die they're the only facts that we ever have the rest of the things are beliefs it's up to us if we latch onto them or not yeah and like even touching on like you were saying it's a lot of people define themselves based on the past yeah instead of recognizing that your ability to understand or perceive the past is actually going to be different from day to day. If you keep telling yourself that because the both of us were in a, a shitty position and got sick or the fact that Jane had struggled with food before, and you know, that's what defined us. It's like, no, it's not what defined us. It's the process that we went through that created where we are. It's not the fact that we got sick or we had struggles. It's because we took the path that had struggles that allowed us to overcome them. That's the defining moment. It's the path you walk along. It's not the actual problems that occurred. So it's like every single path is a defining path. And that's the key you got to realize because everyone always looks back and they go like, these are the defining moments. You know, that's, that's what made me a terrible person. That's where my insecurity came from. It's like, yes, but have you ever thought about looking at the alternative view? It's like that might've caused it, but that doesn't mean you still have to live it. And then that's how you start disrupting these patterns. It's like you don't have to be the person who's always down. You don't have to be the person who's caged in an abusive relationship or actually be in a relationship you don't want to be in. But it's like if you keep telling yourself and you keep looking back to the past and like this is how it used to be, well, then this is how it forever will be. People become quite attached to it. It does become their identity. If If something's all you've been known as or done even if it's something that's quite limiting you, people get quite a, attached to it inside and be like a clutch of short of sorts sometimes that's what can be really hard to let go of it's like getting not realizing that getting uncomfortable trying to help it's like i was going to say it's like 
pick your discomfort, you know, you know, live a life the way you're feeling now about yourself within yourself and prolong the pain or get uncomfortable for, you know, six months a year of like reflection, work, taking the time to work through those feelings and those emotions, learning, as you say, how to name the emotion, like what's I say, name it to tame it. Like you need to using the emotion wheel and stuff, which can be hugely supportive and trying to understand your feelings. You don't always understand what we're feeling and what's behind it. But like just to kind of back up what you're saying, really trying to understand the emotions behind your actions, behind your reactions. No, you're not defined by any of these things. We're all capable of change. That's one thing that's sure that's sure in this life. We can all change, we can all grow, we can all learn if we're open to it. Nothing is set in stone. Nothing that you do or say, nothing that you have done or said is set in stone to define who you are. It's not who you are. And we're all capable of change. We just have to be open to it. And that's the hardest part for people to accept is that you have to be open to it. I think sometimes when people reach out to, um, I don't know, like a mental health professional or a coach or whatever, they almost think that like a coach or a mental health professional is going to solve their stuff within two, three four, five, six, seven sessions or whatever it may be. If we've been having those limiting beliefs since we were potentially in our teens or younger for some, that's not going to happen in seven sessions. Like a coach or a nutritionist or a dietitian or a mental health professional can only guide you. And the biggest tip that I would say to someone if they are going to talk to a mental health professional is for the love of fucking Christ, will you do the homework? that they give you for the love of fucking Christ. It doesn't, it's like, it's the only reason I got out of it. Yeah. It's the only reason it stopped me from doing something stupid because I fucking did the homework. I didn't do my homework in school, but I did my homework then. And it was the only reason I, I, I didn't have to do it. The homeworks are there for a reason. And it's so, so important that like you sit with yourself. That's the hardest part for it is you have to sit with yourself. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be in a coffee shop. It doesn't have to be at home, wherever it may be. Go to a safe place. It can be, go to a friend, go to sit out in the garden. It could be wherever you want. And just literally just write whatever is in your head. It's the most, un- people are afraid to start writing because they do not know what's going to come out. But it's also the things that come out, most of it is absolute horse shit. It's just like, it's, but it means something to them. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily make it an actual truth. No. And we need to compartmentalize it into, is it an opinion or is it an actual fact? And that will help to diffuse it. If you actually physically write out what your thoughts are about something and saying, am I creating this problem? as an opinion, or is this an actual fact? Um, and is it set in stone? And I would say the vast majority of people's stuff that they have in their minds will go in the opinion column, that they potentially have this opinion because something has said something to them. Say if, if someone was bullied, like I was severely bullied in primary school, mm. and there's things that kind of come in and people, things were said to me as a teacher, and sometimes I know when it will trigger me, but when I'm tired or haven't eaten, like we all know what Dallas is like when he hasn't eaten. <laughs> Thankfully, Dallas now has, if he's not, hasn't been fed, he's not allowed on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new contract. Um, 
but it's important for us to kind of look at it from that point of view is you if you if you break it down to two things it doesn't have to be the most complicated venn diagram you're ever going to draw but if you write down the things you'll see where the thought processes are coming from and where potentially they are stemming from like if someone says like for my big one is i was told i was stupid by three different teachers i just didn't want to be in school i just didn't i want the, the stuff that was taught to me i didn't interest me in any way and I got tested for ADHD. I got tested for everything. But even with ADHD, you still have an attention to put into something that you're interested in. It doesn't mean you can't do anything. You still have a desire and a direction you can go if you want to go that direction. It's it, th these labels that people put on themselves and that are put on by society as well, which is unfortunate. But you can still, like, I know I use it as a fuel to kind of prove people wrong while other people will use it as a limiting belief for so long. So there's no right or way, wrong way to deal with it. But the way for me to deal with it is keep doing this, keep helping people, keep writing out crap or whatever, doing podcasts and showing that I can keep learning. That's how I overcome it, by action. Because I've dealt with the shit. I've talked to other people about it. I've done the homework. But it's about getting that uncomfortable part, which a lot of people do not want to deal with. It's the thing everyone's hiding from, you know, it's, that's eating, drinking, like, you know, all distracting from is that uncomfortable feeling because there's so much fear around it. And like, even with like, I talk a lot about like compassion and self-compassion and how important it is when it comes to things like this, when it comes to your self-esteem and obviously we're building insecurity in that as well. And I think there's like, I can, like people think that like self-compassion, self-care is always soft that you know it's just lovely and i'm going to be kinder and more compassionate i'm going to do a face mask i'm going to have a bath i'm going to do that and this stuff is all great but when it comes to like self-compassion and being more compassionate with yourself big part of that can be honest reflection and that can be uncomfortable sometimes the kindest things you can do for yourself is be disciplined be more self-aware go through the discomfort of you know being more reflective with yourself mm. and that can be part of compassion compassion isn't just all being softly softly with yourself yes it's kindness but you know there's a really i love um dr kristen neff's components of compassion i really really love like I love that book oh so good and it just really sums up kind of i think really really well and i think people will kind of relate to the elements of it when it comes to insecurity and self-esteem like good places to kind of build from and it is what is it again self-kindness versus judgment mm. would be one of them common humanity versus isolation and mindfulness versus over identification and understanding the kind of differences in them so like self-kindness versus judgment is being kind and like being warm and understanding with yourself but like understanding that imperfection failure these things are all part of life that we're all going to go through and then like common humanity versus isolation is when you are isolating yourself with your thoughts that everything happens to you. This happens to me. This it's is my This is like, it's like everything happens to you. You don't take responsibility for what's happening. It's all happening to you. The world is against you. There's a mindset that so many people can fall into. Everyone's fallen into at some point to some degree of poor, poor me. This is happening to me. And sometimes it can be for really feckin' valid reasons. Some really shitty ass things can be happening to you. But you can get caught in that bubble. Whilst if you consider 
like shared humanity as opposed to isolating yourself in that bubble you realize that suffering is part of being human it's that life. we all share in it it's part of life every human being is going to suffer on this planet in some way to varying degrees and we all share that joy of suffering in our own ways so it's less isolating to realize that it's part of the human experience and living and then mindfulness versus over identification because mindfulness is reflective practice it's you know you are reflecting you are listening you are being present and that can sound like that's well you're going to really over identify with yourself and be thinking about yourself but it's not mindfulness is non-judgment non-judgmental awareness it's like you are not your thoughts you are not controlled by them you know you are the the presence behind your thoughts you know you can watch them without criticism without judgment and you can learn from them learn from them and that's the really important thing i think that we're talking about in trying to figure out your emotions trying to figure out your thoughts why they come to you is to sit there and like look at your thoughts as they fly into your head and kind of go oh welcome to the party why are you there you know and kind of ask yourself why am i thinking that why am i feeling that what's behind it and to remind yourself that you're not your thoughts and you can observe them and that's what mindfulness is more it's more an observation and it's kind and it's non-judgmental and it's non-critical and mindfulness prevents you from getting swept away by your thoughts and that's what over identification is it's like you become you are your thoughts you are identified by them they are who you are you are your experiences you are your thoughts you are what happened to you you are the things you do the things you've done the things that are being done to you are who you are and you get swept away by that feeling and that's the difference of like over identification and i think if people can look i think that those three components are so good for people to kind of look at and kind of go okay self kindness versus sense like judgment over identification versus mindfulness and then isolation versus shared humanity like if you can separate it into those three i think it can be really impactful in helping support you through overcoming insecurity and like even rebuilding self esteem or incorporating more practices to do that in your life you mentioned about the suffering element of it and i know yes to life by where the hell is it uh what the hell is your man's name he wrote the man search for meaning victor franco he said the meaning of life is suffering because you can't appreciate the good times without the bad times yep like i think we think whatever the way i think it's like disney or whatever has brought it up i keep mentioning disney i love disney's treatment. I, love disney. <laughs> I, I love disney i love the whole way like even walt disney himself was someone that was told he was never going to achieve he was put down as a kid constantly and he was because he was so creative people didn't understand him he was misunderstood as an individual but he saw that as a driver rather than an insecurity he said no i'm going this direction because i actually want to be able to create and give back and then you've got that first cartoon that he created which is the mickey mouse on the boat one and then that allowed him to develop and develop and develop but he had woes along the way it's the same with the with shoe dog and nike people think that nike is this massive empire with no mistakes but if you listen if you read that book phil and i talks about it, how he had to do the the the, the kind of the 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 donkey work in the background of the, all the, the dodgy deals that went over on in Japan and stuff like that. Like life throws you stuff. You get to choose your suffering. You get to choose how you react. 
No one else does. No one else can derail you unless you allow it. No one else can make you feel insecure unless you allow it. And one of those feelings that kind of comes up for an awful lot of people, one of those statements that comes up for an awful lot of people, particularly now in this heat, I'm genuinely sweating buckets during this podcast. Yeah, I've yeah. muted like three times. That's <laughs> um, why well, I'm not wearing a top. Yeah, well, Dallas, you never wear a top. <laughs> so that's not, not a fair comment. I need window <laughs> wipers on my glasses. Yeah, right? exactly. I just need shoe polish on my head. Um, but I think, I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, the, the, the comment of like, especially what's happening now, people are struggling with body image mm. because they're out in the beach, potentially going down to go for a sea swim. And it's amazing seeing the comments coming back from, from the clients and team SWF. They're like, oh, I went, I've never got into a bikini before. But it's how they've turned it on themselves. It's like, rather than looking at their own insecurity, they're saying, right, I'm making this a happy time for me and my kids. Turning it around. Because you can't have a negative without a positive. So your positive time is having the time with your kids that they're going to remember. Having those photos potentially around the house. Having those potentially, potentially on your phone that you can share and look back. But also we have to look at it like fat is not a feeling. Fat is an image with, is an issue with self-worth and how you perceive yourself. We all have, if we look in the mirror, our mind will go to the negative straight away. It's how our brains protect us. But it's how you latch onto those. Rather than trying to like pick fat or if you're looking in the evenings and stuff like that, you're going to be more bloated. Your stomach is like a bag. If it fills up, it's going to expand. That's how it works. So if you're saying, oh, I'm more bloated in the evenings, you're human. That's how it works. Yep. <laughs> I said there's a really nice um, tool for building self-esteem. I've actually recommended it to a couple of people this week to work on. That can be really positive and it's reflective practice and it will make you have to get a little bit uncomfortable. But the more resistance you put up to things, the more powerful and important it is to challenge yourself. But it's um, people might want to try and listen to the podcast because it's very around embracing your awesome and it is to get it's a good introduction to journaling as well if you're somebody who's been like resistant to journaling this kind of simplifies it and it's to get a little diary and every day every morning write five things you love about yourself it is not necessarily body your how you look or an aesthetic which i have done in other there's other reflective practices that would be about that but this one's just every morning write five things that you love about yourself it can be physical it can be eternal it can be stuff that you do anything at all but just five things that you love about yourself do it for the week the end of the week stand in front of the mirror and read all those things out to yourself and you can do this for weeks on end and like say all those things out loud that you love about yourself that you've written out you might feel silly you know, but if you feel silly, laugh, joke. It's not, it's not like bad to be laughing and joking. At least you're smiling and like challenge yourself to do that. And it just helps you remember all the awesome things. And as you say, our minds err on negative. Just like practicing gratitude helps rewire the brain to think more positively. Journaling like this and writing about all the things you think are awesome about yourself will start to help rewire your brain to start moving more to those things. And instead of being over-identification with just the physical which sometimes can be good to look at the good things about your body and not just focus on the negative. This kind of gives you the opportunity to look at you all encompassing and you're awesome, all encompassing every bit of you inside and out and all that you are. And it can be really positive just to reframe the brain to start like thinking about yourself more positively. And during the summer, if you're feeling kind of down or negative, it could be a really good time to start doing it and challenge yourself. 
meant to feel a little bit uncomfortable, but that's not a bad thing. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Jane. Go on. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> what if you can't get five? But there's always something. You have to push yourself. That's resistance. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm just like, because I know I use the self-appreciation exercise from uh, Chris and F with my clients, and that's 10. So it's like, it's double what you've said. But you find that after about five, six, it's like the soul doesn't want to go there. The mind doesn't want to go there. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard and uncomfortable. But it's like, that's the thing. It's like, if it's really tough, it's like, that's the challenge. If you only get three, it's three more than you got before, you know, but that challenge of think about like when everyone's brain goes to, I can't get five. If you're thinking that before you even start, you're limiting yourself. Nobody is judging you for what you're writing. If you write that you really like your polish on your toenails that day, like it's like gratitude. Nobody has control over what you're grateful for. You know, you can be grateful for anything. I remember starting practicing gratitude and I was like clutching at straws trying to think of things. And I was just like, coffee came up so many times. Like, and really, you know, it's like, everyone's like, oh, it's deep and meaningful. And I was like, no, those times I was just grateful for a cup of coffee and the fact that I was writing in the diary and that I was sticking to it. And like, you know, I went that simple with it. And that's with this as well, with loving yourself and like trying to think things that are awesome about you. There's five things and it can be as simple as liking, you know, something you did in work that you made someone smile. I like that I considered making a cup of coffee for my coworker yesterday. I'm back at coffee. I really love coffee. (laughs) You know, it can be those little tiny things like, I chose to call a friend yesterday and check in on how they work and maybe doing this might challenge you to do more things that you're proud of and happy about, or like make you consider more things that are of value to you. So it's again, being non-judgmental with yourself about it, but pushing yourself that little bit to do it. If for one week you can commit to trying to write those five things a day, nobody knows what you're writing. And no one needs to see it. No. That's the thing. Like most people, like no one needs to see it. And also it's funny when you look back at it, like whenever that time is, if you decide to look back at it, you look back and say, right, I just want to give that person a hug. Like it's almost like mental therapy in relation to and giving that person a hug and kind of saying, wow, I look how far I've actually come. It's like comparing it to like a weight loss journey or whatever, maybe how far I've actually come mentally because we can all lose weight if we want, but we also have to look at them from a point of view that's purely intrinsic or extrinsic, but we need to look at it from an intrinsic point of view. Like the leanest person you see up on social media could be the most miserable internally, but also could be the happiest. Yeah. But it's also not looking from a compare. I say? You're definitely not lean. Those pictures were from a year ago. <laughs> But it, it's, it's, it's like, uh, but I also think when people kind of go into those kind of exercises, they say, oh, this isn't for me. It's like everything is for you if you are open-minded enough to do it. And people also think like, oh, I'm going to do, I'm not going to do meditating or journaling because I'm just getting too many negative thoughts. It's like, yeah, but that's the point. The negative thoughts are meant to come in. It's, it's learning how to not latch onto them. And if anyone's looking for something to, there's exercises and it's like, think like a monk. 
by, by Jay Shetty, he has exercise in it and how he worked on it. Because I think he meditates for like two or three hours a day or something. Yeah, uh, but he's, huh? It's insane. It's, it, it's, it's, it's nuts, but he's built himself up. He didn't start off with three hours. He built it up by like 30 seconds or a minute and then built it up. But he had to get uncomfortable with the stuff. I know he probably went the other route of going to be a Buddhist monk, but that was his choice. That was he, that was his chosen path to do it. He probably would have potentially got um, criticism for doing so or judgment from for doing so. But it's what he wanted to do. It's how he wanted to live his life, how he valued and what he wanted to do, live by his values. We care what people think when we actually don't know how people think. We are playing guessing. It's like, oh, he's, he's going to say this. Like, oh, where, how are they going to say that? You can't tell me that. If you can tell the future, while the lot of numbers tonight? I would love to know. <laughs> I'd love to know where to get you a top. Like catastrophizing based on data we cannot know, we do not know, and cannot control. It's like you're setting yourself up for failure from the get-go. Yeah. And like... That's because what we inherently believe that we are all seeing beings that, you know, that just by me looking at the two of you, I can exactly tell what type of emotion and feeling you're going through. Yeah, I can make an inference. Yes. You probably guess right. So (laughs) it's like, that's the issue here. It's like, we, we think that we're so good at being people, you know, that because I'm a person, I know exactly how they feel. And I'm like, that's the point. I'm a high empathetic person. You know, it's like, yeah, just because you're a person doesn't mean you truly understand what the person's going through. You can't figure out what's going through the head. The environment is shaped. And it's like, you have no possible way. I mean, there is a reason why in therapy you sit in front of each other and the therapist will at times go like, is this what you're experiencing? Because it's like, I'm basing my assumptions on what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. This is the idea I came up with. And the person goes, no, that's not even close. And it looks at the therapist like, how the hell could you not see this? It's like, because that's what happens. I'm like, if the therapists can't even get that correctly, how on earth do you think that you have the ability to truly see what other people do? And this, you've got to remember that. It's like you are in your own world and that's it. It's like, think about yourself on your own planet and everyone else is on their planet. I'm like, now you understand. It's never going to happen. You'll never know. It's actually a really cool thing that Brene Brown does with that. Like she talks about it within her relationship and communication with her husband and that assumption of knowing what someone's thinking and making up stories in your head, the stories we all make up in our head about things, friends, family, partners. And she uses that. She'll communicate to her husband now and go, okay, so what just happened? The story in my head is this and explain kind of like you looked at me that way. And in my head, I saw you judging how I looked and wishing I looked like I looked when I was like 20 years of age and going, what am I doing with her? You know, or something like that. I think she uses something along those lines from when they were swimming. And he's like, no, oh my God, I was thinking about the kids drowning and like stuff. And it's like, but based on how you're feeling, where you're at in your life, how stressed you are, sad you are, whatever's going on, the stories in your head and the narratives are going to change based on that, not based on what those other people are doing. And that's something really important to reflect on is like, is this reality or is it just a story in my head? And when you're fostering better communication with people you care about, it can be great to communicate those stories to them if you have that like open understanding and a good relationship to do it. But challenge the stories in your head. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And it's, uh, I also think it's understand transference in the sense that your mood can be transferred into another person, another state and how that works. And that is a big key thing for not only security, but dealing with other people. 
because it's like, for instance, the other day, like I've got my last assignment to do and I'm like, there's a whole bunch of nonsense that needs to go into it. And like, I'm getting annoyed about it. So it's like, so that means now that I've got to be cautious of how my mood is going to affect all other conversations I have, because that is giving me a form of annoyance and anxiety around it. So it's like, you've got to understand how that in turn will create its own insecurity for something where someone can then look at you, for instance, and you can look at me and I can be like, what the hell are you looking at? You know, and that's just because I'm in that state. So it's like how you are in given times and how that transfers really is a key thing in terms yeah. of security. Brené Brown one is that's an awesome. I remember listening to that on I think it's one of on, I think it's on one of her first episodes of her podcast. I think it is when she talks about that, or else it's on her te- or else it's on Netflix. So maybe. The Netflix episode, like she talks about it on that. Um, but I think one of the things that like we've spoken about change and potential desire to change that maybe like we like the idea of change but we don't necessarily want to put the steps of the progress into play and one of the things i kind of want to ask you guys is from a practitioner point of view from nutritionists and, and coaches point of view of how do you kind of work with emphasis on work with uh, clients who are hesitant to change because it has to work both ways he's going <laughs> Or don't talk. I don't really mind. (laughs) But um, someone is hesitant to change. It's trying to, it's figuring out the why behind it. It's trying to help them align and understand the reason why they have come to you in the first place, you know, and the reason that they have shown up and they've reached out to you. And if they're hesitant to change, be it in training or nutrition, it's going to vary. It's like, it's trying to meet them at the point that they're at and get them started. See what you can get buy-in on. So it's just about, like identifying what it is that they're trying to change, that they're resistant to change. You have to identify that first before trying to build a plan or a path for them, I think is like the really important aspect of it. It's understanding the why behind them being resistant to change. And then I look at them from the sense is what's the obstacle? So we also know the why, but if I know what the reason is the obstacle, we can now plan how to get past the obstacle. So it's like trying to think about it. If you're climbing up a damn mountain and a rock falls down blocking one path, you can stop going up the mountain or we can go, right, I can go around this path. And that's the way to try and find it. The difference is people don't want to talk about the obstacles because the obstacles are usually a, a massive representation of their life. And that's what people hate. You might have to. Sorry, as I kind of give them a little bit of what they want to then in the longer term, give them what they need type of thing. Exactly. So it also comes down to the aspect, have the conversation with them and it goes like, what's the life do you actually want? And the person goes like, oh, I want X, Y, and Z. So it's like, so when are you going to be doing that life? When are you going to live that life? It's like, well, I can't. It's like, well, exactly, because you're living a different life. So you've got a choice here. Do you either stay in the life you've got or you go and live the life you want to do. And if the life you want to do requires change, you've got to make the change. And you let that sit in for a while and you start to realize people get this weird uncomfortableness about how they feel about themselves because you've got the thought now of, do I like being where I am? Or is this something I truly want to change? Nine out of 10 times a person will say, I want to change. And you're always going to get the one person who goes, nope. I like my safe haven. And then you're like, cool. Now you just give them what you can and they accept that there is going to be a limitation. And I think that's the hardest thing for all three of us is accepting there's a limitation to where somebody actually wants to go. 
You have to find something that they can really latch onto and attach to and relate to, you know, and it's there's so much listening, I think, is like a huge part of it. Someone's resistant to change. As a practitioner, you have to really listen between what they're saying and read between the lines. Because if, depending on how resistant they are, they're not going to communicate a lot of the reasons that they're going to be resistant to change. If somebody has come to you in the first place and is paying for a program and paying to work with you, they're doing that for a reason. And, you know, then trying to work through that, that there's obviously some reason they're stepping up to, to hire you. And it's either looking for the change, looking for someone to blame on things not working out, you know, that they're two really, really apparent ones, or just a hope that you can bring about change for them that they're really struggling with, that they're just stuck in a place and not being able to see clearly. And you have to try and navigate that because some people will do this all of the above knowingly or unknowingly. And as a practitioner, it's being able to really, really listen, read between the lines as much as you can, and then find a route for that person. As Stephen says, it's like the rock, you know, finding, going to climb over it. Are we going to go around it? Are we going to try and lift it? Like, what are we going to do? What's going to work here? Or do we just need to send them back to the start and say, this isn't your, this isn't time for it. You need to reflect and figure this out and figure out if this mountain is for you right now or not, or maybe it needs to be some training, you know? Oh. <laughs> Anything you would add, Jane? Um, no, I think that's it for me. And yourself, Shane? Uh, no, I think it's important just to say that like, it may not be the right time for that person to go down a particular route. They may like the idea of it, but they may not want to go down it. And it is important. One thing that I'm definitely trying to work on is trying to be like, you can only ask as many questions. And it's okay if it's not the right time. And people need to remember that it's really, really okay if it's not the right time. That is not a reflection on you as a person and who you are. It's like, it, don't, don't over-identify with that as we've talked about and don't let that be something that fosters insecurity. It's like, something may not be, the, it may not be the right time. It may not be the right route. It may not be the right coach, you know? But just try to be as honest as you can with yourself and understand why you are doing something, why you have made the choice to make change. That's the, the biggest thing I can say is like, be willing to reflect within yourself on why you are doing something and try to figure out your reasons behind it. Like what is the driving factor for it and make sure it's something really, really important and intrinsic if you want to really, really see sustainable change long-term. And accepting that there will be bumps in the road and you're not a failure for having any bumps in the road is a huge element to it as well. Yeah. Because if we think that life is going to be a straight line, you are setting yourself up for a fall you're almost lying to yourself you're kind of telling yourself life's going to be perfect when the perfectionist mentality may be kind of overriding your desire to change anyway so we need to have a point of view of well if i'm doing my best and it's like a, life is like a sat nav you may get in this you may take the wrong left left or right turn we'll eventually get your destination i said this to dallas yesterday and dallas was like how do you write things so eloquently yeah mine usually comes out with like Poof. <laughs> yeah fuck you shane uh, that's basically what I got the answer for. Um, but like it is, like life is like a sandwich. You have a choice of like if you take the wrong left turn and you have your destination or your why in mind, 
to satnav will bring you back into the direction you want to go but you have to know the direction you want to go any coach any person any therapist or whatever maybe is only as good as the person who is knowing what they actually want to achieve and why and getting uncomfortable isn't fun getting uncomfortable is probably not the most ideal situation you ever want to be in but i think it's hugely important that you do understand that it is part of the process and nothing will change if nothing changes um i know jane's con- we're conscious of time so guys thank you so much for that, that hopefully someone has taken something from that um i really do it like it, it is one of those things that we all struggle with that no one is no one is immune to it i think people don't realize that that everyone has own insecurities uh but guys thank you so much for coming on jane and dallas thank you